and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and our topic is resistant weeds. I know, it probably feels like, oh man, you guys talk about resistant weeds quite often on the show. We do. We get a lot of questions about this, and the problem is not getting better. In fact, in, in many areas, it's getting worse. And one of the things that I've noticed, I guess, that I'd bring up just to start the show off is how... We hear about a tough weed in one area, and we all breathe the sigh of relief that, okay, whew, at least that's just in Tennessee. That's not where I'm at. And I remember doing a meeting right across the border in Arkansas, and I remember some guys saying, well, yeah, they've got that over in Tennessee, but we don't have that in Arkansas yet. And I'm like, really? How far is Tennessee away? They're like, well, it's across the river. And I said, are you guys kidding? You probably already have it. You just don't realize it yet. And, you know, one of the things with resistant weeds is that we often don't realize we have them until we really have a problem. Uh, I was talking to uh, uh, an agronomist, actually, in central South Dakota uh, just, just last night. And he said, hey, Darren, and he sent me some pictures he said, I'm just curious. You guys have, have seen some Palmer pigweed. You've done a little more travel than I have. Is this Palmer pigweed that we've got? And sure enough, it looks like Palmer pigweed and hasn't been confirmed by a university or anything like that. But he, he said, I'm going to have to send those in and get confirmation here. But yeah, it looked like they had Palmer. And I said, well, tell me about the situation. He said, well, we've been raising conventional soybeans now on the soybean side of the rotation for about five years. And the weed control has gotten a little worse. And he said this year did a little better, but but there's still some weeds out there. Well, if you let weeds get away from you, uh, that can be a problem real fast. And especially our topic today, resistant weeds. If you have, uh, just take Palmer pigweed. It's, it's widely accepted to be resistant to Roundup and other chemistries. And when you have some Palmer, the Roundup's not killing, and it goes to seed, and now those those plants can produce 100,000 seeds, a million seeds. I mean, there's all these huge numbers out there, but even just say it's 10,000 weeds. Wow, all of a sudden now you have 10,000 resistant weeds in your field. So doing a great job controlling resistant weeds and just being fussy. Like I remember back in the, the 1980s when Brian and I were kids, and we would go out on dad's famous uh, field scouting missions after supper. Oh, it's a beautiful night. Jump in the truck with me, guys, and we'll we'll head out there. And so we're out looking at fields, and, and inevitably, dad would see a couple of weeds out in the field, and he'd say, hey, why don't you guys run out and pull those? You know, are you running out and pulling those weeds after supper on your farm right now? I know for, for many farmers that I tell that story to, they say, well, yeah, you guys probably didn't farm that many acres back then. And we didn't. We didn't farm that many acres. It was still enough, believe me. But uh, yeah, I, I get it. Some farms are bigger now. But if you want to do a great job on weed control, go pull that last weed or two before they go to seed, before you have a problem, before you run it through the combine. That was our other thing. If we had a weed patch 
A lot of times dad would, if he was by himself, just combine around it so that we could go back out there and pull all those weeds out before he ran them through the combine. Or if we were around, he'd say, okay, there's a patch over there on the southeast corner of that field. You guys pull that before I get there and get all those weeds out of there. I don't want them running through my combine and spreading through the whole field. But you see it all over. You see, and I get it, sometimes there's a surprise weed that you didn't notice out there or whatnot, but it runs through the combine. Now you got a streak out through the field or you got a whole big uh, circle out in the field that it just blew everywhere and... And now you've got a real problem on your hands. Resistant weeds are are tough because they're resistant to a popular chemistry that you are currently using on your farm. If they weren't, you wouldn't see them. So you've got them and you've got to make a change on your farm. It's so much better to make that change early rather than late. I had a seed breeder in my office this week and we were just talking about what he was seeing out there and and looking at new um, lines, both in Extend Flex and in the Enlist platform, and then just talking about some of the things coming down the road. Well, one of the comments that he made was, you know, this year with rapid accumulation of GDUs, we saw some different things. And one of them, he said, I, I don't have a lot of kochia in a lot of my plots, but I had one plot where the kochia was small on a Friday. And by Monday when they got there to spray it, it was big. And he said, I can't believe how fast that particular weed grew. And you look at Palmer pigweed. What What's the thing that everybody says about Palmer? Oh, man, it grows so fast. I think that's a great lesson. No matter what that weed is, if you see it and you say, uh-oh, we got a spray, doing it right away is so critical. And I know the weather doesn't always allow you to do that. Maybe it's a 30 mile an hour wind when you immediately see that. But as soon as you can get back out there timely, it makes such a difference. I was in a discussion this morning with a group of agronomists about Liberty herbicide. And they were just talking about, you know, Liberty didn't work as well in this situation or that situation. I said, okay, well, you know, how much Liberty did you sell? And that group had sold a ton of Liberty out there. They had a lot of customers using Liberty. And I said, so you're telling me for all those guys that you sold it to, it didn't work. Well, no, it worked. Okay. Well, how many times did it work? Well, it worked like 95% of the time, but you know, on a lot of acres, that 5% was, was a big deal. And you start pinning down, okay, well, talk to, talk to me about where there's certain days that it didn't work very well. Well, yeah, you know, there were, there were certain days that the humidity was really low. All right. Well, we see that as, as an issue. Uh, how about any additives, surfactants, those types of things? Yeah, when we added those in, it worked better, but some guys didn't, depending on what they were tank mixing. Okay, there's another red flag for you. And, and all those things can lead to, hey, do we have resistant weeds? Do we have a herbicide that just doesn't work anymore? Or are there things we can do to help that herbicide work better? The other thing is use rates. This is one, like Liberty is a great example this year. I had a lot of growers that over the years said, hey, I use Liberty, I had problems, or I didn't completely take out the weed. And I say, okay, what rate did you use? Well, it was 32 ounces or less. I don't know if I had anybody at 43 ounces that said, you know what, I used 43 ounces and it didn't work anywhere for me. Uh, it works pretty good when you use the full rate. We'll talk more about resistant weeds and give you some tips to fight them on your farm coming up right after this. 
When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com USST. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about resistant weeds on the show today, and we're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com. If you send us pictures of problem weeds and you say, man, are these weeds resistant? Um, one thing that I would say is this, before you send that picture, if you see the top part of the weed is burned down, but it's regrowing from the bottom, that doesn't sound like a resistant weed to me. That sounds like we didn't have enough active ingredient that actually made it into that plant to take it out completely. And the height of that weed could have been your problem or pore spray coverage, something like that too. Uh, we've got Nick Fassler with us right now with BASF. Nick, I, I'm sure you've seen pictures like that where the weed's partially burned but not completely taken out, and immediately it's, well, must be resistant. Yeah, you're 100% correct. Um, yeah, certainly like you mentioned, weed density, coverage, you know, all those things are the next thing to start to look at in those cases. You know, there, there are a lot of different weeds now that fall into a resistant weed list resistant to one chemistry or the other, whether it be Roundup or ALS or HPPDs or whatnot. Uh, it, that's a little scary. It's a little daunting to say, man, that's a resistant weed, but we don't have very many that are resistant to everything we've got. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, I think the one thing we've talked about here more recently is metabolic resistance. That's when I think all the weed science groups and universities are watching closely. But, but like you said, it's usually one or two modes of action at this point in time and it's you know what's critical for 
for us is just how do we delay that that development of more in the mix. Well, what have you seen this year out in out in fields? What are you hearing from across the country and and really around the world about about resistance? What what's changing? And I, I don't know if you want to scare us too much, Nick, but maybe you want to tell us about metabolic resistance too. Well, certainly certainly not here to to strike fear in everyone. Um, yeah, I I work for BASF. I lead our technical service team, but in doing so, I also have the opportunity to lead our our claims and service group. So, um, you know, I get to hear a lot of what the challenges are and what's going on across the across the U.S. And, you know, this year, I think, is exceptionally difficult just given the, the environmental conditions a lot of growers battled where we had poor activation of residuals up front or difficult uh, difficulty burning down weeds to begin with. Um, but, but, you know, the big actors or major actors kind of remain to be the same. If it's, if it's water hemp, palmer amaranth, kochia, um, and even as you you know, type into Google and search those, those weeds seem to be problem weeds, uh, you know, no matter where you are. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Okay. So one thing I want to ask you real quick, just because of the job that you have right now and the opportunity you get to look at a lot of fields where growers have had a problem or where you're doing research and you initiated a problem. So you said, okay, let's see what it looks like if everything goes wrong here. What did you learn this year? Because I know a lot of growers will say, well, I had somebody come out from uh, my chemical supplier and they just wanted to blame me for things. Uh, my experience has been different. On our farm, it's been, I, I get a lot of people that come out and want to help me figure out what happened so it doesn't happen again. 100% right. Yeah, I'm always there trying to find the solution because we don't want to repeat the problem. Um, but, but a lot of what we've seen this year is, is getting behind, you know, chasing big weeds. Um, so now that comes down to, can you, can you raise the rate high enough? You know, does the label even allow you to go high enough to really control that weed? So then, then the question becomes what types of combinations are going to give us the best likelihood of success? Um, you know, like what, what we've seen with the Enlist soybean platform is certainly that tank mix of, of Liberty Enlist being a lot stronger than trying to break those two up. Um, but you know, that runs into what's the economics and what have I already used and what do I have left on the labels? Um, and then just, you know, focusing on those weeds and, you know, when you consider Liberty, for example, three inch weeds are, are pretty small, you know, we need to be out in the fields looking for those and timing more based on the average weeds than trying to wait for all the weeds to emerge. So you got, got a nice blanket of weeds to kill at that point in time. One challenge this year, and I got to give my brother credit, he was on top of this right from the start. He said, look at our GDU accumulation. It's twice as fast as normal in the early part of the spring. We're getting so much heat and warm nights. Everything's going to grow twice as fast. Our windows for application are going to be compressed. And you mentioned if three inches is what we're targeting, boy, that doesn't leave you a whole lot of days. You got to be pretty active on your scouting to catch that. Uh, Exactly. I mean, that's the one thing we've we've uh, experienced over time. The weeds that we seem to be most um, challenged with tonight, today are small seeded broadleafs, and you know they germinate with very little little rainfall. And once they're once they're emerged, they really go off to the races pretty quick. 
You know, you think about those small seeded broadleaves, they're germinating in the top, oftentimes the top half inch or maybe inch of soil. Our pre-emerge herbicides have a pretty good shot of getting them, but then we ended up with drought conditions this year. We ended up with rows that didn't canopy as quickly. I know for our farm, we're already looking at, man, do we need to go to narrower rows on beans just in case we run into droughts or on certain fields or we have lighter soil types? What are some of those cultural things that you're seeing really make a difference helping to fight these resistant weeds? And that's where we spend a lot of our time is we have a program called Operation Weed Eradication, but it's really pulling together those cultural, mechanical, you know, chemical and diligence type practices. But, you know, from a cultural standpoint, um, you know, certainly narrower rows or however we can get up the crop to outcompete the weeds as soon as possible is key. Um, you know, and, and I mean, driving around and I was out in, in Iowa and Wisconsin here the last week, and it's surprising how many fields still aren't canopied this time of year. Um, you know, that's just kind of kind of makes me a little nervous of what things are going to look like in the next uh, four four to six weeks whenever we get closer to harvest of, of what starts popping up later in the season just because we weren't canopied. So, you know, those mechanical practices, I know a lot of growers have, have for, for right reasons, switched more of the programs to conservation tillage, reduced tillage, no-till. Um, and then we've gone to maybe more even 30-inch rows just for speed of planning and efficiency. But, uh, you know, those are things as we look at the overall weed populations and what we're battling on our farms, you know, is there is there the need to, to switch to more narrow rows or actually try to rotate in maybe a cereal crop or something that can compete at a different time of year? Because um, the one benefit of, of what we're battling is these small-seeded broadleafs typically have a very um, short seed dormancy or, you know, ability to overwinter. So one or two years and basically that seed's no longer viable if we can keep them from germinating and from producing more seed. Yeah, that's, that's encouraging that if we can just get through the next couple of years, things will get better. But there were some guys that had problems this year. What do you recommend for them for next year? Do you say, look, you, you really need to switch to corn because it's easier for us to kill them in corn than soybeans and we got to throw the kitchen sink at it for a year or two? Or, or where do you go with, with your recommendation for those problem fields? Yeah, you're, you're thinking the right angle. So, I mean, certainly with corn, we have the ability to, um, you know, to use what I you know, like to say the bigger tools or the, the harder hitting tools, depending on what use rates and limitations you have. Um, you know, the thing about corn is typically you can have atrazine. I know we have a lot of atrazine resistance, but it does help kind of, kind of clean things up and square things up a bit. And then the ability to use dicamba and 2,4-D and, and more of those group fours in crop um, to help clean up. But I would say on the soybean front too, it's, it's, it's all about how do I come into it with, with the ideal state in mind. Um, you know, that's where at BSF we've had a lot of success with residual products. Um, you know, it is really strong on a smaller seeded broadleaf. So getting that out there, but once again, the activation piece of that's going to be key. Um, and just trying to limit the number of weeds we're trying to kill with that post trip so we can time it accordingly and, and set it up for the most success. Yeah, I sure like that strategy, not just taking one swing at things, taking a couple of swings, using multiple modes of action. All those things really help 
trying to keep these tough, resistant weeds out of our fields. Uh, Nick, uh, thank you so much for the work you're doing with BASF. Uh, the, the tech service team doesn't get all the glory out there, but you guys are doing a lot of the legwork to, to help bring solutions to growers. So thank you for that and, and appreciate having you on the show today. Thank you very much, Darren. We're talking about resistant weeds on today's show, and we'll be right back after this. When it comes to serial disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Steward EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Steward EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y when it comes to protecting your field from disease and environmental stress, there's Revitech fungicide. <laughs> and there's everything else. When it comes to unparalleled power, there's Revitech. <laughs> and everything else. And when it comes to speed and stamina, this is Revitech. And this is everything else. Nothing else comes close to Revitech fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about resistant weeds and looking for strategies to help on some of these problem weeds. There's seemingly a growing resistance to different chemistries, too. It's like, oh, no, what's going to be the next chemistry to fall? 
hopefully uh, that doesn't happen. But uh, again, we got to be realistic about this. If we use a single mode of action over and over again, we've seen it time and time again, that that is going to fail at some point. So we're, we're just encouraging good strategies here towards managing resistant weeds. We've got Mike Wingrove on with us right now. He's an independent agronomist, works with a lot of the extreme ag guys. How you doing, Mike? Good. How are you? Well, good. You know, it'd be so easy if everybody just raised 400 bushel corn and the corn canopied like within a week after planting and had a perfect stand every time. I mean, we could choke out a lot of weeds that way, but it's just not the case. I'm betting even the the highest yielding growers you get to work with still struggle with weed control from time to time. Absolutely, they do. Um, It's just uh, this year has been definitely tough with the drought, the dry weather we've had, um, just spray timing it's just been a tough year to kill weeds all all around you know going into next year a lot of the rumors are that we're going to see lower prices on things like roundup and some of the other chemistries and if so that's great i welcome it not only for our farm just to have a few lower costs that would be nice for once uh, but also just that hey if weed control is cheaper it gives us uh, a little more chance to do a little bit more what do you see going into next year mike for for growers what are some of the lessons coming out of this drought year that okay if we had a drought year again and you could go back and and try it all over again what would you change going into a drought i would say most of the guys that i've been talking to you know we we're going to switch up their program they've been either um liberties for a lot of years um so we might go to like a dicamba route or an enlist chemistry route um obviously haven't decided that yet as we're still on this season but definitely on the on the mindset to switch up our the complete program and get out there earlier and maybe rely on a little bit more of a residual product in in the tank mix as well you know, when you look at just switching programs in general, one of the things that's gotten a lot of attention over the last five years for sure has been the implementation of cover crops. And everybody's in a little different situation as to how much season they've got to do cover crops and what they've got for equipment and so forth. What are you seeing with any of the cover crops you've gotten to work with? Has, has it truly helped your guys with weed control? Um, it, it has helped with the weed control. But this year, um, a lot of the cover crops in our area were tough to kill, and those fields kind of they look a lot tougher than the non-cover crop fields, just because of they, we didn't get a good enough kill on them this early spring with the cooler spring that we started with. So the cover crop kind of did a yield detriment to to the crop this year. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, I've heard that too, that, that some guys really struggled with, with certain cover crops and getting them knocked out. I, I know we talk about that a lot too, if just uh, there's always these different mixes that guys will come up with. And, and we just say, well, how are you going to kill all that stuff? And yeah. and you're right, you had, uh, exactly had right. some cold <laughs> weather to it, and uh, it, it can be even tougher than, than you anticipate. Uh, okay, one thing that a lot of the guys in the Extreme Ag Group talk about is timeliness. They say, oh, man, you've got to hit this timing window just right on a nutrient application or uh, for, you know, whether it's soil fertility or foliar fertility and and growth regulators and all those types of things. On the weed control, that's one, too, that I think this year the timeliness really made a big difference. You mentioned residuals. Uh, What are some of the things when it comes to timeliness that you're looking for? Uh, 
Um, I want to get the weeds when they're obviously smaller. Um, a lot of guys try to hold off as long as they can. That way, they don't, they they think they get the weeds killed before they get another flush of them. And hopefully, they're hoping they're at canopy, which will hold the weeds back. Um, but I, I would I, I like to tell everyone that pop can height, like you guys obviously know yourself too. And this year, I think. A lot of guys just it got ahead of them. They, I mean, we were getting shin to knee high weeds, and they're just tougher to kill. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And it got that high really fast. Uh, in, in terms of spray coverage, one thing I think, too, when we get bigger weeds, even if we could knock them out, getting great coverage can be a challenge. Uh, for, for many growers that I talk to, they're like, well, I used this nozzle, and I used it over a bunch of acres, so I don't really have a great comparison. But you get to work with a lot of different growers. What have you seen when it comes to coverage? What are some of the tips that you'd say, hey, uh, here's a spray tip that worked, here's a speed or a gallons or, or whatnot that, that are helping get better? coverage i always recommend recommend to them you know make sure what application they're using whether it's a um you know if you when you go to fungicide you want to switch them but make sure you have the correct nozzles in and i always always recommend i'm pushing everyone to 15 gallon i know a lot of people try to run that 8 to 10 on their pre's i still recommend the 15 and 15 to 20 and I always, I always want to make sure that they, they understand, like you said, that the tips are a big deal. Make sure they're for the right gallons and right, right, right application that they're applying with. You know, this year I heard a lot of growers say that HPPDs are starting to fail, especially when you get over into Nebraska. I'd say a lot of calls out of Nebraska this year that not not getting as much result out of the HPPDs. When when you look at the corn program, that's been so nice. We could use dicamba. We could use HPPD. Uh, I had a, an agronomist actually tell me this week, he said, well, I'm actually using Diflex Duo, so I've got both of those modes of action. That's been working great for me. What have you seen on the corn side? I, I know a lot of guys think, well, I'm going to clean it up in the corn, but that isn't always the case. Um, the corn has not been as big of an issue as in the soybeans. Um, but, yes, the HPPD is softening with the weed kill. Um, there is a lot of dieflex going on in our area. Um, I, like you said, I guess you're you're going for that two, two different modes in there. Um as far as corn, I mean, you, yeah, you get your end rows that stay weedy, and you get a few escapes here and there, but the corns, so far anyways, seem to be a lot easier to keep the weed control under. Yeah, it, it definitely easier than soybeans, no doubt about that. Well, resistant weeds don't really care what crop you're planting or where you're at in the country. They're, they're coming, and uh, some areas have more species that they're fighting than others. For for us, it ends up being a lot of pigweed species and some kochia, but uh, there's certainly other ones, too, to consider. If you've got specific questions, you can send them in to us, radio at agphd.com. been talking with Mike Wingrove here, who works out of Iowa and the surrounding areas. Mike, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on today. Thank you. 
Yeah, Mike mentioned a, a good thing too here on end rows, and he said, you know, in a lot of these cornfields, they do a pretty good job out in the middle of the field, but the end rows sometimes can can be a little weedy, and you got less canopy there. You've turned around on some of those rows. Uh, maybe you had a little compaction on the end rows. We saw that really show up this year too in the drought conditions. There's a lot of reasons why end rows can be a problem, and of course, uh, what everyone wants to blame is, well, it blew in from my neighbor, or it blew in from the road ditch, and sometimes that that's true as well. One of the things that we've done on the end rows, trying to address that specific issue, because I agree with Mike, the end rows oftentimes uh, we, we see some patches, we even see some weeds that you may not see in the rest of the field. Uh, we try and get out in those end rows as early as we can, get our prees out there, hopefully to give more of a window to get some water on and get it activated. And we definitely use the full rates out there. Then very early in the crop season, we come back in and just spray around the ends. And many times we'll look and see, do we have any insects in the in the ditches? Do we have some grasshoppers starting? Do we have any uh, moths that could end up being bugs that end up out in our field, those types of things later. So we may even add insecticide in there and run around the edges of our fields and try and clean those up with an extra pass that we aren't necessarily making on the whole field. That's made a real difference from us. And we weren't the geniuses that came up with that. We had a, a farm operation that, that, uh, we'd worked with for a number of years and that's what they were doing on their farms and and it really worked for them so so we used their knowledge and and tried that on on our farm and had success too so don't just think oh i'm gonna have trouble over here uh, try some different things to get resistant weeds under control stay tuned it takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in and corteva agriscience gets that Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. 
When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio talking about a tough topic here, resistant weeds. We're definitely seeing quite a few different weed species out there that aren't being controlled by a growing number of chemistries. And we don't want a problem on the farm. We don't want a problem on your farm. We want to take these weeds out. So we're talking about some of the ways to do that. If you've got some solutions, if you've got some questions, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Cody Oswald with us right now with Syngenta. Works out of North Dakota. How you doing, Cody? I'm with I'm with Bear actually. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I'm so sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Well, no Cody, Cody, when you look at at um, North Dakota, a lot of growers would say, "Well, man, I wish I farmed in North Dakota, where you have so many different crops. If you're having trouble, can't you just rotate which crop that you're planting, and won't that take care of things? Well, in some cases, it can help, but you got to have something that's going to control it. And many of those crops in North Dakota, you don't have a whole lot of options of, of herbicides you can use in crop. Oh, you're exa- exactly right. Um, you know, I'm originally from southeast South Dakota. I moved up here, and you start getting crops like canola in the rotation and some of the herbicide um, rotational restrictions with some of those crops it can be awfully challenging as far as what pre-emerge you know residual programs you can you can use Um, so so sometimes it works to the benefit sometimes it's it makes things really really tough but you know, you look at one thing, though, I'd say that's another advantage in North Dakota is you, you do have a lot of growers willing to adapt different cultural practices. And, and we see it all over the country. But uh, I'd say your area is, is probably uh, some of the leaders in this of, oh, OK, it will help us to do this a little different. No problem. We can switch and, and they're willing to do so. What are some of those cultural practices that you're seeing make a big difference? You know, especially in soybeans, the narrowing up the row spacing has been been huge for us. I mean, a, a lot of no-till soybeans in this area. Um, you know, we have to get that canopy closed quick. So, so moving to sometimes seven-inch rows, fifteens, even twenty-twos helps. Um, you know, considering somewhere at thirty inches to begin with. So, those the, that's been that's been really key. Um, you know, planting populations is another thing we talk about a lot. Not backing off too much has been been really important because you know we're gonna we're gonna lose some stand, especially a drill into heavy 
heavy no-till. We deal with frost. Um, we've seen we've seen canopy closure happening eight to twelve days quicker uh, at one hundred sixty thousand versus versus an eighty thousand planting population. So those are those are some things I, I talk about and we we look at up here in in our territory. You know, you mentioned population, and what a big difference. I, we should probably do a whole show just on planting population. I was looking at some uh, yellow soybean fields, and every place where the population was thicker, the beans were green. And where the population was smaller or thinner, they were yellow. And you say, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? And we have this debate even on our own team here of, well, where should we be at in planting populations? I agree with you. I, I think I think the top, and, there, and I get it. There are some guys that are still getting really good yields when their populations are lower. But, oh, my goodness, it really helps in weed control, and it helps with a lot of things, especially if you've got uh, high pH soils. Just putting more acid out in the soils makes nutrients more available and keeps away problems like iron deficiency, chlorosis, and other things, too. So I, I agree. I'm glad you point, brought that one up. We hear a lot about narrow rows, but I don't think we talk enough about plant population. That, that can make a real big difference. Yes, yeah, and, and this was a really bad IDC year. Typically, we, we see it really east of 281, Red River Valley. Uh, I saw it a lot, even even west of 281. So it's it's a it's a problem. Planting population plays a plays a big role, and 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 the right genetics, the good good IDC tolerance. Another another one is is picking a good variety that has good emergence and vigor. That's that's really been important. It's amazing the difference in varieties when you plant into cooler no-till soils. Some respond differently than others, and uh, that's something growers are really paying attention to now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, getting out of the ground quickly, and and well, like you were saying before, the faster we can get to canopy, the better off we're going to be. Well, if you're jumping out of the ground faster and getting a, a better start, you might reach canopy a week or two weeks earlier than than the neighboring crops. Yep, yep. Had a college professor who always used to say, "Green to the eye by Fourth of July." Um, it's hard to do in North Dakota, but uh, but he he had he had a good point there. So. You know, when we look at resistant weeds in North Dakota, uh, kochia is one of those weeds. And some of our growers in the south are like, ah, what are you guys talking about? Pigweed's so much tougher. Why is kochia such a challenge? Well, I mean, it's it's just such a, it goes without saying, it's prolific seed producer. But not only that, you know, there can still be some snow on the ground and you start seeing kochia emerge you know, when when snow's still, there'd be a snow bank right beside that little carpet of kochia you see in the field. And that's really where that becomes a challenge. You have to, you have to hit it early. You have to be aware of that, 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 that plant can grow not only in cold conditions, but on some of our more alkaline uh, soils as well. I mean, it, you know, where, where soybeans may struggle a little bit growing kochia, it has no problem growing in those in those conditions. Yeah, I always look at road projects, and I see where they've moved a bunch of dirt, and in many cases they're they're way down into the subsoil. 
and you still see kosher growing out there. I'm like, <laughs> my goodness, that stuff is terrible. I, I don't like that weed at all. And uh, we're talking with Cody Oswald with Bear up in North Dakota about just some of the things you can do to stop these weeds. And obviously working with Bear, uh, you look at some of the chemistry solutions that you've got. And uh, I know you've had a program, the the Bear program has been really good for growers just looking at, hey, you're going to save more money as you purchase more products. And it really has pushed growers to get that second or third mode of action out there in many of these fields. Yeah, the, the Start Clean, Stay Clean program has been been really good for us. Um, you know, having that, that guaranteed weed control or, you know, we'll stand behind it. Um, and then bringing in, moving a lot of our genetics to extend flex. Um, we're finding that that guys are are wanting to try Liberty. Um, had a lot of calls about it this year. I think it's going to keep keep getting growing in popularity and, and at least trying it. So um, we need we need all the tools we can we can get. So. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, having more options post-emerge to spray out there is is a good thing too. And and getting those residuals going. I, I noticed this this year, Cody, down here in South Dakota, where we were dry, getting that that next residual product out there earlier than you thought you really needed it seemed to work much better because we had spotty rains, but a lot of times guys were spraying those residuals and they weren't getting rain for a couple of weeks and some weeds got started on them again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to count on a rain, right? I've, um, we found that having that dicamba in in your residual program. I mean, it's always nice to catch a rain, but even when you don't, it actually performs really pretty well under under dry conditions. Definitely better than better than nothing. So yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, you just can't give up because it's dry. You can't give up because weeds are tough to control. They're going to keep coming. They're going to rob yield even worse on those dry years. So we're talking about how to deal with those problem weeds on today's program. Been talking here with Cody Oswald with Bear up in North Dakota. Cody, thank you so much. Really appreciate talking to you today. You bet. Thank you, Darren. Appreciate it. Yeah, lots of ideas there. And and uh, Cody just talked about a number of things in in including, hey, uh, we're going to be cold in the spring. We've got to get vigor. We've got to get great emergence on the seed. We've got to try and get our canopy closed as fast as we can. Uh, we can narrow up rows. These are things that you can control on your farm. They're things that you can target. It's not just, well, I'm going to apply this product and I got to wait for the perfect weather to do it. Uh, when you're seeding, you got to think about what can I do with population and row spacing and all those things to improve emergence and close that canopy quick. We'll be right back after this. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids rain at ridgeback.corteva.us. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. For a 12 row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the Yield Savers. Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 80%. 
With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 yield saver in less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. Put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 yield saver. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Are you ready? We got the need! The need for seed treatment! Start your engines! Ready, set, Intego! Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio and our discussion on resistant weeds. We've got Chris Munsterman with us right now down in Nebraska, works with Syngenta. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great now that it's raining. I was, I was just going to say, here's the problem with Nebraska the last few years. It never rains there. How, yes. how do you yes. get great weed control when it just never rains? Well, it, it's tough. It, it is possible, though. It's just what we've noticed this year, particularly in our plots, um, while we didn't get the length of residual control that we would have gotten, would have expected with a rainier start to the season, we still got a benefit out of heavier rates of pre-residuals. Uh, we might have got three weeks control out of those versus four to five, but rate still matters. And one of the things we've we've done from our messaging from Syngenta is just try to encourage people to, whether it's our residuals or anybody else's, to use the full labeled rates with effective modes of action. And we never want to see weeds come up and have to be targeted as a rescue situation because one of the things I tell my growers is a weed that never comes up can never add to the seed bank. It's never going to stress you out trying to get over the top with whatever auxin technology or whatever you may want to use to try to control them. And we're trying to limit the selection pressure on our post-emergence tools because there's none of those coming down the pike and you know we'd rather be trying to kill 50 weeds per acre rather than 50,000 weeds per acre post. 
Oh, absolutely. I think you summed up the whole message of resistant weeds right there if we just do those things. You know, but it's when you, not a sexy message, though. Well, That's especially you say use heavy rates, use the full rate. And almost every farmer I talk to is like, man, everything's expensive. I'm going to try and cut my costs. Right. And I just look at, you know what? Losing yield is what's really expensive, more so than, oh, did I spend 15 bucks or did I spend 20 on weed control? Boy, I, I'll give up five bucks all day long to not lose five bushels of soybeans yeah i i agree with that it, it's it's not a it you know coming from the mouth of somebody that works for a chemical company saying use more but really that's the only way we've seen to manage this to help to manage things we don't talk about weed control anymore we talk about weed management it's an investment in not only this year's weed control but next year's as i'm a i heard one of your other guests talk about being a tech service person we only get called out on the problem fields and i agree with that we see all the problems, but there's a lot of fields where guys do it right and they don't have a lot of problems because, but they are, they follow all the practices your guests have talked about today, the cultural practices using effective, you know, high enough rates and maybe not planting all your crop right away where you can't get back over the top and spray it in a timely manner post. That's the, it's hard to stop a fella from planting. I understand, but it sometimes is. they overextend. You yeah, know, it's hard to get covered. It's really hard to stop a guy from harvesting, but we talk about that too, that you know what, right. if you've got a problem field and say it's mare's tail, say it's dandelion, something like that, and you say, uh, I could get it sprayed in the fall, but oh, I don't want to stop harvest. Man, we've loved <laughs> some of those fall treatments too. That's really made our life easy in the spring. That's very true. And you get better yields. The ground warms up quicker. It's just overall a better thing. And we talked, you know, you're talking you're earlier in the show about getting vigor with the crops coming out of the ground, not having green chickweed and henbit, you know, get that ground warmed up, get your crops off to a, a run and scream and start is a, a good advantage over whether it's kosher or Palmer or anything else. Well, there's a, a lot of jobs out there that you'd say, oh, my gosh, I, I don't want that one. That one's going to be too tough. Uh, Chris Munsterman down in Nebraska having to control weeds without the benefit of moisture. Uh, you've, you, you've had a tough job down there. So thank you. We really appreciate the tips today and, and look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you all. You bet. All right, Brian, we've been talking a lot about resistant weeds here and got a got a kind of interesting question here too, if we could dive into the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. So this one comes in from Lee and he said, All right, guys, here's our situation. We've got some patches of Canada thistle, mostly along ditch banks, fence lines, and out in our pastures. So here's what I'm thinking about doing. Just mixing up some milestone in a three-gallon hand sprayer and just keeping it in the back of my pickup. When I see a patch, I just jump out and give it some abuse. My question is, if I did that, if I put the milestone in the sprayer knowing that sprayer might be sitting in the back of my truck for days, uh, maybe even a week, uh, how long will that chemical stay active? And is there anything I could do to to help protect it in the tank. Obviously, I've got to stir it up every time I'm going to use it. Well, you don't necessarily have to stir it up. And think about with a backpack sprayer, a lot of times you're kind of bouncing around a little bit. But, yeah, you want to shake it around a little bit. That'd probably be good. But the biggest thing to keep it viable as long as possible is to keep it cool and out of the sun. So if it is cool and out of the sun, you're just fine. But if it's, so like my garage, for example, is insulated 
And in the summer, and this is no joke, I know I've walked in there several days and it's been 100 degrees. Okay, that's not great for the long-term viability. Now, off the top of my head with Milestone, I don't, I don't recall that there's anything that's going to cause a problem within a week, even if it is 100 degrees sitting in a sprayer. I think it's still going to be fine. Don't quote me on that, but I, I feel pretty confident that if it was me and I did the same thing, I think I would feel just fine spraying it out over the course of a week. Now, let me throw this other alternative at you. Instead of a backpack sprayer, what I do like around my house is I just have a little like a uh, small, like, like a Windex bottle or something, you know, just a little handheld squirt bottle. So then I only mix up a small quantity. And you could do that same thing with the Milestone and then also it's a lot easier when you jump out of your pickup, you just have this little container, you go squirt a few weeds and you're done. So then you don't have stuff sitting around as long either. So if it's me, that's probably what I would do is come up with a way to have it in a smaller container, less worry, a lot easier to handle. Yeah, or rather than mixing up the full three gallons, maybe you bring a five-gallon pail of water along and... and hey, mix up a half a gallon or a gallon to start with, and then you can always add more later on as you see more patches or when you run out. Hey, I love it, though, Lee. I love that you're getting after it, even in the areas that may not make you money necessarily, but you're stopping it before it gets to be a problem out in your fields. I like it. Uh, Brian, yeah. had this question come in from Lee down in Missouri. He said, hey, guys, I heard about the Verify program at your Ag PhD field day this year, and I'm wondering, how are you guys using this on your farm? Crop removal maps for a dollar look like a no-brainer to me, but I'd like to do grid soil sampling on my field like a third of the time. So like every three years hit each farm. I'm debating if I need the higher level of verify with custom formulas on my farm. I'm trying to build my knowledge base on soils and it's actually not as hard as I thought it would be. Hey, thanks. Lee. No, yeah. You probably don't need, yeah, you probably don't need custom formulas and that kind of thing. I, I mean, the, the biggest thing is this and, and what we're doing on our farm, we are using it to basically set our soil test grid points and you can do zones too and you can set up zones if you want to but the grid point is super easy and then we're we're just going to adjust things based on that so we ha there are a few built-in things to this system and so let's say it's like on our farm this last fall here's exactly what we did because we were in the beta phase uh, with that company and we've used a lot of different soil test apps in the past and we've had several branded as ag phd uh, so we, we've worked with these software companies to try to help develop stuff that's usable on the farm. So anyway, I just said, all right, I want every single acre we have to be 100 parts per million on Malik 3 phosphorus. That's not, that's like a P2 phosphorus test. So in other words, it's not Olsen or, or weak Bray. So it should be higher, I'm saying. Anyway, I wanted everything to be 100, but I said the most I'm willing to put on, I had a limit. So we just put a limit to it. We said everything's got to be 100, so we just created variable rate, variable rate maps, done. Super simple, easy, and it worked great. So it's that kind of thing that, that we have been using it for. I really like it, and any of the soil test apps we've worked with in the past, that's my preference. I want to be able to try to figure out where do I need to spend the dollars, then we do variable rate to best invest our fertilizer money. Thanks for the question, Lee. Thanks for coming to our field day, too. 
Uh, I had this one from Lee or from Terry Brian over in Illinois. He said, "I was I was at your field day, and Brian said we weren't going to see white mold this year. I'm curious: is it rain? Is it humidity? Do you think you'll have white mold? Has anything changed?" Well, I just said the odds are not great that we're going to have a massive outbreak on white mold this year. We'll see little spots, I'm sure. But the big thing is we've been very dry. The crop is way shorter than normal because it's so dry, and we haven't had much rain. But now the humidity levels have picked up. There's a chance we could see a little white mold, not much, in our area. Hey, again, thanks for coming to the field day. Really appreciate that, and thanks for the question. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.